Hello and welcome to As We Wait, an in-depth verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. Join pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, as he continues the study through the Old Testament book of Judges. This is the conclusion of a two-part study of Judges, chapters 4 and 5. You have a few moments, so why don't you grab your Bibles and follow along? Please turn to Judges, chapter 4. As I wait, you make strong as I long. Now, in verse 18, And Jael went out to meet Sisera, and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk, and gave him drink, and covered him. And again he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be, when any man doth come and inquire of thee. And he says, Is there any man here? And thou shalt say, No. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent, and took a hammer in her hand, and went softly unto him, and smote the nail into his temples, and fastened it into the ground. For he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. Now, this is pretty radical action, actually. Again, her name is translated to climber, so she's maneuvering. But note that Sisera asks her for water, and water would refresh him, okay? Water would help him to kind of regain his strength and be able to run more, fight more, whatever he had to do. But she doesn't bring him water. She brings him a nice, warm glass of milk. You know, they didn't have refrigerators then, so she wasn't going to give him nice ice-cold milk and a brownie. She was going to get nice, warm milk. I learned something uh, years ago, and I learned it from my daughter, actually. I know my wife had been doing it for a while, but I found out later. But when my daughter would babysit some of the neighbor kids, she would give them the magical sleepy time drink. And I'm thinking, you're doping the kids? You know, what are you doing? And she would get a nice glass of milk and warm it up, and she'd put in a little bit of sugar and a little bit of vanilla and a little bit of cinnamon or something like that, and, you know, make a big deal out of making it. Because, here, you want some? And then 15 minutes later, we're all out. And babysitting became really easy, <laughs> watching sleeping kids. Anyway, that's pretty much what J.L. does. She invites them in, and think about the statement here. Turn in to me and fear not. She knew what was going on. He wouldn't be running like that and in fear unless he'd been defeated. So she brings him in, she puts a blanket on him, she gives him a nice warm glass of milk and says, okay, take your rest, it'll be okay. And while he's resting, it says that she went up to him softly, and she takes a nail, or a tent stake, if you will, and a hammer. Now, in those days, see, I'm trying to picture a woman walking up with a tent stake, and I'm like, yeah, hold still. And in those days, the women were responsible for setting the tents up. And the tents weren't like a little pup tent. They were pretty big affairs with lots of leather and goat skins, animal skins, that kind of stuff sewn together. And it was heavy material. They had to put a lot of the posts and the poles and the ropes and all that kind of stuff up. And so it was the, basically the women's work to do that. So she knew how to handle a workman's hammer, if you will, and a tent stake. And so basically she sneaks up to him, and she made her point well known. And he dies. That's my favorite part in verse 21. So he died. Really? <laughs> I like how the Bible just kind of understates things at times. But... If you remember from last week, we had kind of a summary towards the end of the chapter about the different ways that Israel was delivered from their oppressors. And the first time that they were delivered was through a man named Othniel. And his name means the strength of God. And if you remember, he was filled with the Spirit of God. And so the strength of God and the Spirit of God led to the deliverance of the nation of Israel. The second guy that's mentioned is Ehud. 
the left-handed fat man killer. And his name means the power of God. And he delivered Israel how? With a sharp two-edged sword. Remember, he drove it in to uh, uh, the fat guy. And so the sharp two-edged sword relates to the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful. And then the third guy that's mentioned, the third judge over Israel, is Shamgar. Now Shamgar is only mentioned in two different verses in the Bible. In this chapter and in the previous chapter, we know he delivered Israel, but his name literally means sword. And so every time the nation of Israel is delivered, seemingly it has something to do with something that relates to the word of God. Well, think for a moment how the nation of Israel is being delivered now under Deborah. Jael offers Sisera warm milk and then uses a hammer. Now, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he said, As newborn babes desire the sincere or the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So I like this because, again, it relates how was Israel delivered in some way, shape, or form through the word of God. And then a hammer. Jeremiah addresses this in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. He says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Whenever the children of Israel, whenever the, the children of God are oppressed in any way, shape, or form, or in bondage, the Word of God is going to be what delivers us. Okay, It's by adhering to the Word of God, being obedient to the Word of God, even just reading the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is such an integral part, and we can't do any of that apart from the Word of God, and we shouldn't try to. We shouldn't try to be the kind of, well, I, just, I pray a lot. I've heard that. So, okay, pray, then read your Bible. You know, I serve the Lord. That's great. Serve the Lord and read your Bible. We need to spend time in God's Word. And that's awesome that we're here together this morning, corporately kind of studying through God's Word, looking at it word for word and all that stuff. But it should not be a once a week thing. Okay? We need to partake of God's Word daily. Because daily we face the battles. Daily we face the challenges. Daily the enemy wants to oppress us if he can. And so daily we need to partake of God's Word. And then again, verse 21, and he died. The prophecy spoken by Deborah that the honor of killing Sisera would go to a woman now comes true because Sisera was killed by Jael, even though Barak was pursuing him. So Jael got to him first. Then we get to verse 22. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came in into her tent, Behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin the king of Canaan until they destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan. Basically, Sisera was the military force that propped up this regime with Sisera and his army and his chariots out of the way. The children of Israel went on then to easily defeat Jabin the king of Canaan and it says that Israel prospered and prevailed. Why did they prosper and prevail? Think about it for a moment. God spoke to Barak. He needed some encouragement, so God raised up Deborah. Deborah encouraged him to be obedient to the word of God, and when they were obedient to the word of God, that led to their deliverance. Almost like a mathematical equation. You know, it's like if this, then that. You know, cause and effect kinds of things. And so again, it comes back to the word of God. And understand as well, this ends with the destruction of the oppressor. And this is just a, a small micro picture, if you will, of what takes place in our lives. Because in the end, the enemy loses. Okay? The enemies of the Lord are destroyed. 
And so, again, we fight our battles from a position of predetermined victory. This takes us in now to Judges chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. And so we've got this song. It's known as the Song of Deborah. And basically, it's a song of praise. It's, it's a song that tells a testimony that gives glory to God. You know, they didn't always just you know write books and that kind of stuff in histories. They built it into the lyrics of these songs. Not that in English it doesn't like flow like a song. But that was a way of remembering the great deeds that the Lord has done. And it does us good to remember the good things that God has done in our life. So she starts off in verse 2, Praise ye the Lord. And those words, praise ye the Lord, in Hebrew, it's hallelujah. So if you've ever wondered what that phrase hallelujah means, it means praise the Lord. Then we go to verse uh, 3. Hear, O you kings, give ear, O you princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchedest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. The clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. And so basically she begins off, praise you the Lord and praising God for sending his help. That when God began to move, the earth trembled. God brought the rain to the point where you couldn't even see the mountains. So that's a lot of good rain, which bogged down the chariots, made the victory possible. Then in verse 6, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied, and the travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I rose a mother in Israel. What she's doing here in verses 6 and 7, the second mention of Shamgar, she's describing how bad things were. She's going to give glory to God and give a testimony, but she's kind of starting out with a contrast. This is how bad things were. In those days, the highways were unoccupied. Nobody could travel on a public road without fear of being attacked by the Canaanites or robbed or whatever. In verse 7, the inhabitants of the villages ceased. In other words, you couldn't live in a village, you couldn't go to the public square without concern for your safety or for whatever. It was that bad. And then it says, basically, until. Until that I, Deborah, that arose a mother in Israel. Deborah is known for being a prophetess. Okay, She's known for being, quote-unquote, the judge of Israel. But when she describes herself, what term does she use? She says that I, Deborah, a mother in Israel. To me, that elevates the function, the capacity, the standing, if you will, of women as mothers. Motherhood is an important office, if you will, in the church and in the nation of Israel. I know without my mom, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> None of us would. You know, To me, it's just kind of interesting to note that she didn't identify herself as a political figure or even as a religious figure that she identifies herself with the nurturing nature of a mother. And then in verse 8, they chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. And was there shield or spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? How bad it was? And then now why it was so bad? Okay, The cause to the effect, if you will. They chose new gods. That is, gods besides the true and the living God. Besides the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Besides the God that they had known as a nation, they turned away from that God. And this led to war being at their very gates. And not only being at war, <laughs> but not having any weapons. There used to be an old saying, and it still is, I think, you know, don't take a knife to a gunfight. Don't pick a big fight unless you're prepared to fight kind of thing. You know, And that's what they're doing. 
they've abandoned their only defense. See, God said he would defend them. God said he would protect them. When the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is your protection, that's awesome. But when you step away from that protection, when God is your only defense and you abandon that, that makes you defenseless. Okay, And that's what's being described here. They were defenseless. They had no weapons, which may explain why God was using ox goads and donkey bones and that kind of stuff to kill people. But in verse 9, My heart is towards the governors of Israel that offer themselves willingly among the people. Bless you, the Lord. Deborah's heart was towards, she appreciated those governors, those leaders that were willing to help. Then we get to verse 10. Speak ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment, and walk by the wayside. They're talking about leaders, talking about wealthy people. Riding on a white donkey was considered kind of a classy ride in those days. They that are delivered from the noise of archers in the places of drawing water, there shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord. They're going to just repeat and testify of God's greatness. Even the righteous acts towards the inhabitants of his villages in Israel. Then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. Verse 12, Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, utter a song, arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. Then he made him that remaineth have dominion over the nobles among the people. The Lord made me have dominion over the mighty. Out of Ephraim there was a root of them against Amalek. And after thee, Benjamin, among thy people, and out of Machir, Machir was the oldest son of Manasseh. So this is describing the, the tribe of Manasseh. Come down, governors, out of Zebulun, they handle the pen of the writer, and the princes of Issachar. And so basically describing now, uh, not only those that were wise, but describing those that came to help. In verses 14 through 16, Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh and Zebulun and Issachar, these tribes all came to their assistance. He started out with 10,000 guys from Naphtali and from Ephraim, but they were joined by about 30,000 other men from these other tribes. Now, going back to the book of Joshua, when they fought their way through the land of Canaan, they did it as one group. I mean, all 12 tribes basically were represented as they went to these different places. Then if the land got divided up and they all had their own inheritance, they were each supposed to fight their own battles. And here is Naphtali and Zebulun basically team up under Barak to fight against the Canaanites. In some way, shape, or form, the other tribes are notified, hey, you know, we're going to battle, will you help? And as we read here, Ephraim, Benjamin, Manasseh, Zebulun, and Issachar all respond. As Sisera comes in with his 900 chariots, He's expecting to face 10,000 guys who come off the high ground down into the low area when they're bogged down, but they're joined by 30,000 other men from these other tribes, which is really kind of cool because it brings back the victorious heyday, if you will, of the days of Joshua. Uh, they haven't seen that in a while. There's been a lot of ups and downs and, and sad things that have happened. But in the middle of verse 15, it kind of changes. In the middle of verse 15, it says, For the divisions of Reuben, there were great thoughts of heart. <laughs> Man, he thought about coming. You know, uh, man, uh, thinking and thinking and thinking. It says in verse 16, Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds to hear the bleedings of the flocks? For the divisions of Reuben, there was great searching of heart. In other words, they were asked to come, they knew about it, but for whatever reason, they just didn't go. That's kind of a sad statement. Then it continues, Gilead abode beyond Jordan. And why did Dan remain in ships? And Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches. Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeoparded their lives. They risked their lives unto death in the high places of the field. The kings came out and fought, then fought against the kings of Canaan in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no gain of money. 
they fought from heaven, the stars and their courses fought against Sisera. And so basically, Deborah is calling them out by name, which is kind of cool in a way. Gilead didn't help. Where was Dan? Asher stayed on the beach in the Mediterranean collecting seashells. Zebulun and Naphtali were the ones that risked their necks. Then speaking of the Canaanite confederation that came against Israel, and then in verse 20, acknowledging God's role in the battle that he fought from heaven against Sisera, which is not unusual because the battle belongs to the Lord. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 24, verse 8, he says, Who is this king of glory? The Lord mighty and strong. The Lord mighty in battle. Again, we get to show you this map in verse 21. The river Kishon swept them away, the ancient river, the, the river of Kishon. O my soul, thou wast trodden down their strength. And the river Kishon, here's Mount Carmel, uh, here's Mount Tabor. And this little short blue line there, actually, that's what runs all year long. But then in the rainy season, it extends all the way back almost to the Jordan River. And so as she's singing this song, She's kind of giving credit to God that he used the river Kishon to wipe these people out. And so um, if you can picture that plain down below where the battle actually took place. Then we get to verse 22. Then were the horse hoofs broken by means of the prancings, the prancings of their mighty ones. What he's referring to is that this army of 900 chariots on a dry day, picture the parade ground. Picture the show of force when he's got these 900 chariots lined up in some kind of formation, and he's at the front of it. They're just like, yeah, man, strutting their stuff. They're prancings. But now they don't look so good in the mud. And now they don't look so good when they're all being killed. And that's what she's describing in this song, that they were basically defeated, and the horses wouldn't run in the deep mire. They were no longer prancing, if you will. Then we get to verse 23. Curse ye, Miraz said the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Now this is kind of interesting because we don't know where Miraz was. It had to be somewhere in the vicinity of this battle. They're like a village or a city or a state of some kind, and they didn't come to help as they should have. And so it's not that Deborah curses them. It's interesting. The angel of the Lord curses that's kind of saying something. And you have to understand, they're being cursed for not helping out when they knew they should have. And in the Christian walk, there are sins of commission, things that we do that are wrong. But there are also sins of omission, things that we know to do that we don't do for whatever reason. James describes this in James chapter 4, verse 17. He says, Therefore to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him, it is sin. And that's true. When we see from the Word of God or the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we're supposed to do something. We recognize the situation and we don't do it. It's sin, bottom line. James tells us earlier in his epistle, in James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, But be ye doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. When we know to do good, we're supposed to do it. And we're supposed to be doers of God's word, not just hearers of God's word. There's an expectation at times that we'll take action as the Lord would lead us. Jesus kind of addresses the same thing. He admonishes his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. 
Jesus expects us to act upon what we know based on what he teaches us from his word. Same thing for for Miraz. They're cursed because of their sitting on their hands, basically. Then we get to verse 24. Blessed above women shall Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. Whatever her motives are, Jael is blessed. And she's, in a sense, elevated to the place almost of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Because the angel Gabriel tells Mary, the mother of Jesus, blessed art thou amongst women. Okay, And that's pretty cool. And so Jael, and I'm going to say she's in second place, just because she's blessed above women in tents. I think Mary lived in a house. But uh, anyway, so still, for someone that was kind of wishy-washy, moving back and forth and blessing other people, she receives a tremendous blessing as a result of her action in this episode. It goes on to describe, He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. And she put her hand to the nail, and her right hand to the workman's hammer, And with the hammer she smote Sisera, she smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. At her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay down. At her feet he bowed, he fell where he bowed, there he fell down dead. And so in kind of a a sing-songy kind of poetic way, describing the actions of Jael and the result from that. Then we get to verse 28. Now, as we read this, we're reading it from the perspective of, of Deborah, who describes herself as being a mother. okay, And so she's kind of taking a mother's perspective, looking for her son to return from battle. The mother of Sisera looked out at a window and cried through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? She's used to him coming home in victory. She's used to the guys coming back with the trumpets and, and extolling the virtues of her son because he's been undefeated for the last 20 years. And so She's looking at this like, eh, what's taking so long? Verse 29, her wise ladies answered her, probably trying to comfort her, and she returned answer to herself. Have they not sped? Have they not divided the prey to every man, a damsel or two? To Sisera, a prey of diverse colors, a prey of diverse colors of needlework, of diverse colors of needlework on both sides, meet for the necks of them that take the spoil. Again, this is kind of poetic language, imagining the victory, the spoils, She's describing a fancy robe that's embroidered on both the outside and on the inside. Okay, so it's a very expensive garment. And so, you know, doesn't he have all this stuff? Where is it? Where is he? And then finally in verse 31, So let all thine enemies perish, O Lord, but let them that love him be as the sun, when he goes forth in his might, and the land had rest 40 years. Again, let thine enemies perish. That's cool because they will. None of the enemies of God survive. Read the end of the book. It's really cool. We win. And God's enemies are vanquished. And may those that love you be like the sun in its power. The opposite. He went to darkness. Now those that are on his side go out powerfully as the sun goes. And then it says, And the land had rest 40 years. They were delivered. Now, 40 years, again, it's not the longest amount of time that we'll see through the book of Judges, but it's a pretty decent amount of time. But how does this happen? It happens because of the warm milk, which represents the Word of God. It happens because of the hammer that also represents the Word of God. How does deliverance come to the children of Israel? How does deliverance come to the children of of Jesus Christ, to the church, to us? It comes again through the Word of God. And so that can only happen if we rest in Him. Now, Sisera, in many ways, represents our sin nature. 
okay? Seemingly invincible and powerful. Our sin nature does not want to be exposed. Like Cicero, hide me, lie for me, don't tell them I'm here. And then our sin nature wants us to serve it. Bring me a glass of water. Bring me the things that will satisfy me. And how is the sin nature overcome? Again, by the word of God. And once we do overcome that sin nature, and we can only do that through the power of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, and we accept that, we accept that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again, then we have that same deliverance. We're no longer bound. We're no longer in bondage to sin, nor the sin nature. Now, not that we don't give in to it at times, not that we don't get confused at times, but we're not bound to it. And by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we too can be free, free of all those things. And so I see a really cool you know, lesson in this whole thing again when you look at Caesar being the sin nature and Jesus Christ being our deliverer on the cross. Again, if there's anyone here this morning that has never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, consider these things very carefully because, again, there's only two sides to this battle. We're either with Jesus, we believe in him and receive him as our Lord and Savior, or we're at war with Jesus. And as we read through this book, you're going to discover that Jesus wins, that sin is defeated. And Jael is praised for switching sides. Okay, It's not too late to switch. We can join the winning team. I pray that we all would. Gracious Father, once again, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your blessings in our life. And, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us simply to hear your voice. Help us, Lord, to walk in the victory that you've already given us. Lord, help us to be victorious over the flesh. We love you, Lord, and we commit our ways to you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's all the time we have for now. You've just been listening to pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California teaching the conclusion of a two-part in-depth study of Judges chapters 4 and 5. Please join us again next time as we continue our study through the book of Judges and through the entire Bible. As We Wait is an outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. We pray that you are blessed and we'd like to invite you to join us in person. Calvary Chapel meets at 450 Richmond Road on Sunday mornings at 830 and 1030. Our Wednesday evening service begins at 7, and communion is celebrated the first Sunday of each month at 6 p.m. To get the entire study on CD, please call the church office at 530-257-4833. And if you've made a profession of faith and would like more information on what it is to walk with Jesus or want to know how to grow in your faith, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at P.O. Box 1316, Susanville, California, 96130. All our services are streamed live on the web at www.ccsusanville.com. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.